And you guys didn't think Ecclesiastes could get any better. <laughs> I read chapter 6 this week. I'd actually been dreading getting to chapter 6 again. And I read it. And I read it. And I read it. And then I read it again. I was like, surely there's got to be something good in here, Lord. It's you you know, we had those couple of weeks where we got like a little bit of a little bit of sunshine. We talked about worship. We talked about being real. Like we, we were that journal was it was changing just a, just a, just a little bit, but it was just a little bit. And then chapter six, you get phrases like "It'd be better to be stillborn." Living a little visible life. And I read that phrase, and that's what sticks in some people's brains. And I read the phrase right after, and it'd be like living 2,000 years. Could you imagine living on this earth 2,000 years and being unhappy? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> that would be hell itself. <laughs> and then the Lord decided to line up this week where my wife would be gone a lot of the evening time more than normal, just with, with school stuff and, and some things that she's involved in up there. And, and it gave me time to read more scripture. So I'm going to put two, and I'm going to preach three sermons. I do have three passages we're going to be in. <laughs> but I figured y'all weren't quite ready for three in a row. So, so I'm going to put two bookends on chapter six. And it first comes from this. I read, and I read, and I reread, and I reread again. And I'm just being upfront with you guys, right? The verse that stands out to me after all that reading in the beginning, we're going to go a little deeper than this, was verse seven. So you get down to verse 7, and this says, all a person's labor is for his stomach. I like to eat. <laughs> you know, as soon as the Cowboys got eliminated from the Super Bowl, the next thought was, well, cool, because I'm still going to watch Super Bowl, now what are we going to eat while we watch Super Bowl? <laughs> right? Like, food, food takes care of misery, in case you don't know Super Bowl Sunday. <laughs> A person works so hard just to, to fill up his stomach, his appetite. And there's this column. Because we need more good news. Yet his appetite is never satisfied. He's hungry for something. Yet when he tries something, <coughs> it don't do it for him. You guys ever get snacky at night? Mm -hmm. Or is that just, just fat kids? <laughs> right? Like, like, I get snacky at night. I'll get so snacky at night, I don't even know what I'm snacky for. So I'll do, and I know none of you guys ever do this, but I'll do this thing where I go to the kitchen cabinet, and I open it. I look at everything in the kitchen cabinet up and down, just investigating what's there, taking inventory. So I'll close the kitchen cabinet, I'll go to the fridge. I'll open the fridge, up and down, inventory. I'll open the freezer, inventory. Then I'll walk around this fancy island I got, got snacks in the middle. And then I'll go back to the cabinet. And I'll open it again like it changed. Like it's the line of which in the wardrobe. Like I shut the door, and it magically is going to have something different in it when I open it this next time. Right? And it's the same thing. Well, it didn't entice me this first time, but the second time it's like, well, choices are getting limited. Because <laughs> I'm not getting my truck to drive nowhere. <laughs> so I'll get something just because I wanted something. 
No reason whatsoever. And then I'll eat it. And I'm like, man. If I was going to eat this late and put that sugar carbohydrates up inside these lovely love handles <laughs> this time of the night, I sure wish it had been more appeasing. And I wonder how many times we go through life that way. Where we're hungry, and we open the cabinet, we open the fridge, we open the freezer, we've circled the island, we go back to the cabinet, we just take something. And it, it didn't do nothing for us. The second scripture that the Lord had me reading this week, I have no idea why, to be honest, but, but I was in Acts. I love Acts. I just, it's, it's a book I, I just like. like. It's the history of the church, so it's good for you. I get to Acts chapter 10 this week. I think it was Tuesday night, whatever night in the court was for my wife. And, and I'm reading Acts 10, and I get to this thing with Peter and this guy named Cornelius. If you, you check time to read it, we're not going to go through all the verses because you guys would hate me afterwards. But, but like I'm reading it, and I am going to turn to just the, the one verse real quick. So if you got your Bible, you want to flip to it, be holy, you can. <laughs> If you're a sinner and didn't bring a Bible to the church, then you should just go to the altar and repent for it, I guess. But, but, but in chapter 10, you've got this scene getting set up, and it's really cool. Like, you've got this guy who shouldn't be hungry for Jesus, but he's hungry for Jesus. He's supposed to be, like, actually killing Jesus' people and punishing them and all this kind of stuff. But something happens, and he's got this hunger developing. Well, God has this guy named Peter already picked out who's going who's gonna to be able to witness to him and whatnot. And here's what it says about Peter. So God's picked Peter out. God's got him lined up. And then it says this. When the angel, I think it's verse 10. <laughs> no, it's verse 10. So 10, 10. So it says the next day Peter traveled because, of course, if God tells you to do something, you got to do it. Y'all just sing a song about what God tells me to go on ago, so I hope you've been in. Peter got up. He prayed on the roof about noon. You should definitely pray to make sure it's right. And then it says this. Because Peter's like me in so many ways. He became hungry and wanted to eat. Well, I've run Ecclesiastes so many times already up until this point that the word hunger drives out again, right? So I'm like, all right, God, you're going to tie it together somehow because I'm hungry. <laughs> By the way, I got about my little seat where I sit in front of our fireplace and it was not burning because the crystal's not there. We won't run it. <laughs> I got him out of there and I went and got something to eat while I read. <laughs> it was chips, so it wasn't healthy either. <laughs> but it worked. That's right. He became hungry and he wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something to eat, he fell into this trance. He's hungry, he's got an appetite. Peter's out of danger. His appetite is for the things of God. And God uses that, that hunger that he feels to reach the spiritual hunger of a dude he's about to witness to, who he probably wouldn't have witnessed to, had it not been for him to get hungry while praying on the rooftop. So he goes into this trance, and in this trance there's the sheep and the animals and all that stuff come by, and everybody gets so stuck on the law of what he could eat and the law of what he couldn't eat. And I realized, like, God ain't talking about food at this point. God's talking about some spiritual nourishment. Because God will make you hungry for one thing to teach you a lesson in another thing. 
So Peter gets this vision, and this vision is you're going to go talk to this dude who you normally wouldn't talk to, and you're going to present the gospel to him because he's hungry for it, and we want to make sure he eats the right thing. Because if you ain't eating the right thing, no matter how many bags of chips you eat, you're going to be one unsatisfied fella. So today's title is No God, No Satisfaction, One Star. Because if you're hungry for the wrong thing and you keep eating it, you just go get one star. Normally what happens after that, I give it one star. And I'll, I'll do this dumb thing. Don't do this from a worldly <laughs> point of view. I'll go get something else to eat. Because <laughs> if one thing didn't solve me, the next thing should. Right? <laughs> and then I realized why well, I don't have a six-pack anymore. Um, <laughs> let's jump into this thing, because this is really it. If you're hungry for the wrong thing, you ain't getting no satisfaction. It's not going to fulfill you. And I think we live in a world where we've been fooled by today's Super Bowl Sunday. The greatest commercials will come out today. People who don't watch the game will watch the game to see the commercials. Yep. Yep. They will. Yep. It blows my mind. It's weird. I might get the commercial over with so we can get back and watch the ball going down the field. But some people want to see the commercials. To entice people to buy something that they're not even really hungry for. And how often this world has made you hungry for something you're not even really hungry for. But you thought it would fill a void for something else. So he says this. <coughs> after talking about worship, after talking about people getting, getting some money and not handling it right, and seeking happiness and all this other stuff, he says, there's, there's an evil... He's still talking about this under the sun idea that he's got. There's an evil which I've seen. And as evil as this in verse 2, he says, A man to whom God's given riches and wealth and honor, he lacks nothing. He's got it all. Maybe he's describing himself. Yet, God doesn't even give him the power to eat of it before a foreigner consumes it. Solomon saw the tragedy of all those those people that get gifts from God, and yet they don't get the opportunity to enjoy the gifts. You see, there's two blessings when you get a gift. Like, you get the blessing of the gift, but then there's the blessing of being able to enjoy the gift. We had a piano and we had drums before we ever had a pianist and a drummer. And they looked really cool on stage for a long time. Like it was pretty, the clean team hated it because it was more the dust and move around. But it looked so cool. We had the gift. But we didn't have no way to enjoy the, the gift. And I wonder how many times God's blessed you with a gift and you're not enjoying it because you miss how He's going to bless you with the way to enjoy the gift. Or how many gifts you got that you don't even know you got that He's blessing you. And Solomon hits this thing, and here's your main point for today. The ability to enjoy life, to find satisfaction, comes from God and God alone. Any other source, you're missing it, right? We can't produce it ourselves. We can't accumulate enough things. We, we can't heap up enough accolades and, and trophies and awards. That it can't come from the affection of others. You leave God out of the picture, and you leave joy out of the picture. Is that something? You'll get a lot of twirls around the kitchen, a lot of things you sample, and a lot of things that will leave you un, unhappy. So this first part is this first section. He goes through a couple of verses where he talks about this rich guy who lacks nothing. He's got it all. <coughs> and he doesn't have anything. 
because he's miserable. He lacked nothing on earthly possessions yet, yet he's not very happy. And Solomon says this kind of thing happens all the time, man. A person loses everything that they've worked so hard to get. I'm not trying to bash the man again, but it, it just is amusing to me that it comes up one more time during the same series of Ecclesiastes. We started this thing with a video with Tom Brady, who had won all these Super Bowls and got MVP, and he says, I thought there'd be more. Well, we know because he's all over the news. He's now lost his wife. He's now lost his kids. He's retired from football. And come to find out this week, he invested in a guy, and he's lost almost all his money. Wow. Now, when I say almost all, I'm talking about all in our standpoint of a lot of money. Of course, he's still rich. But he's lost a lot. It, and I think about this this very thing right here where we work so hard to get, to get, to obtain, to obtain, and then we lose it. Now, the guy who stole his money, he's now out of the country. He's got 90, he did this with a lot of superstars, a lot of famous people, celebrities. He's got $90 billion. I just said million. I said billion. $90 billion. I can't even fathom like that. Exactly. If one billion ain't made you happy, what's 90 more of going to do? Right? It happens all the time. So, so David writes this in Psalms. Psalm chapter 39, verse 6, it says, A man heaps up wealth and does not know who's even going to gather. He's just piling up this stuff, not knowing who's, who's actually going to get to enjoy it. So you say, why is Solomon writing this? Why, why, why this again? Why did, he, why did he make it so far already in four or five chapters, and now he's, he's backtracking again? And I say, why not? Because Solomon's being as real as you can get, man. He, he could have started sugarcoating it and changing it. He just talked about worship last week. Now, now we can make it sound holy, right? No, he, he's not wanting us to sugarcoat it and, and pretend. He's wanting us to become desperate enough that when we look at all the things in life that haven't satisfied us, we realize we need to be seeking something else. <coughs> well, that failed. Well, that failed. That failed. That failed. That failed. You don't even have to be religious to figure this out. You know what I'm saying? He, he's saying, like, well, if you tried that and it didn't work, you might, yep, 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 yep that didn't work, but yeah. I bet if you <laughs> try until you get to the right thing, you'll get more than a one-star review of life, right? It's an, it's an Acts 10 experience of hunger. He's hungry, he just has the wrong appetite. And in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, I think he's actually talking about himself, to be honest. Which is super disturbing, because here we have a, a portrait of a God-fearing leader, and how miserable he is. But then maybe it's even more shaky because now it drives us to seriously start checking out our own life and examining it. Am I just putting on a show or, or is it is it real? I don't remember if it was last night because I watched the, the four videos that, that Heather started us with last night so many times over the last couple of days, you know, listening to him in the truck and driving and, and, and I might have got to check out right now media. Like you, you were challenged last night and watched the other three. But like at, at some point in there, he goes, do you, do you just want to be married with that person where like you live upstairs, you got an upstairs kitchen, and they're downstairs, and, and you're together because you have this commitment to God that you're going to stay married forever, or do you want to actually be happy? Do you want to actually be joyful? You imagine a home like that, and then your kids grow up? Well, they thought it was normal because that's what mom and dad did. They would do the same thing. You live a couple years together, and then you kick him upstairs or kick her upstairs, and, and then you look like roommates. And, and then in real life, 
Because that's what Solomon's writing at. He said, do you really just want to want to live and make it through life? Or do you want to actually enjoy it? Do you want it to actually mean <coughs> something, right? So, so in verse 2, he says this key phrase. God does not allow him the power to enjoy it. <coughs> and I'm not going to apologize for Scripture, but that's tough to hear. Because if you're a person that's got some stuff, and you're not enjoying it, you're still chalking up the one-star reviews, and you go into prayer time, and God says, of course you don't enjoy it. I'm not letting you enjoy it. You're like, God, I, I think you missed something, Lord. Like, you created earth, you created me, you want me to have a good time, I think I'm supposed to enjoy. And then God says, because you can't enjoy none of my blessings without me. And you realize that it's a one-star review because you're still missing something. You see, enjoyment doesn't come from increased possessions. It comes from the Lord. And if he withholds it, no amount of your effort is ever going to gain it. You can keep trying all day long and it's not going to work. You can look at all the catalogs and commercials and, 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 and everything else there is. However, you cannot have enjoyment without God. And that's what Solomon's getting at, the emphasis of the book. He's saying that, that nothing lasts, nothing's satisfied. This, this whole world is, and, and look how he writes, he repeats it over and over throughout the whole book. There's hunger, there's work, there's food. There's hunger, there's work, there's food. There's hunger, there's work, there's food. And on top of all of it, there's vanity and no satisfaction. And you can write this down because it's all about God's grace and not our gain. And the minute we think life is about our gain and not his grace, we're going to be one frustrated, unhappy person. Then it gets real dark and real sad and real bad real quick. Because now the preacher, the, the teacher that he calls himself in the beginning of the letter, he says, here's the dark possibility. The dark possibility is this. That if satisfaction is not guaranteed, maybe it'd be better off if I was dead. <clears throat> wow. What? <laughs> this is a guy who's writing some wisdom things, right? Like he wrote, he wrote a great portion of Proverbs. Like he's he's got this love book written, you know, uh, Song of Solomon, and he's got he's got all this this stuff going. He, his dad wrote songs to majority. Like he's got a lot of good info, and his his highlight for the info now is if you're so unsatisfied, you're gonna live that long unsatisfied. Maybe it'd be better if you were born dead. Talk about a guy that's throwing it out real. Right? And maybe that's because he kind of realizes, even though he doesn't realize from a spiritual standpoint, that we're all dead until we become alive in Christ. Amen. Maybe he's hinting at something that's coming here in the New Testament, right? Like Solomon uses these two images now at this point as he's writing in 3 through 6. And, and he's two things that ancient Israelites would have like, that would have been their prime goal. I want a bunch of children. I want a long life. Right? Two of the fondest desires, all of them get out of a quiver full of children and days of many years. Why? I've got three or four kids, and they're, ready, you know, they're driving me nuts, you say, right? Why? The ancient world buried children like it's important. One, they, they would help work, get the jobs done, right? Like you, you raised up your own workforce. They ensured that you're going to be cared for in your later years. So somebody who's got a hundred kids, they'd be like super blessed. Right? Of course, he's exaggerating through a lot of this stuff. <coughs> but, but, but read Genesis chapter 15, Psalm 127, it talks about like the, the highest of all earthly blessings. Is those kids, 
and living a long time. But a discontented heart's going to be unsatisfied no matter how many things it gets. It's almost like this. And we do this sometimes. This is, I've seen this one of the videos you may have watched or are going to watch. We, we do this in our marriages. You, you've got a blue cup and a pink cup, right? That, that's the man and the woman. We'd go into a sermon on that, but my wife would shrink down and it would be good. So I'm not going to go there yet because it's Valentine's week. Right? <laughs> so, so you got this blue cup and this pink cup, and, and when they bump into each other, you know what spills out? So he went, he went a little bit above him and doubled. 
just make sure you guys know, like, this, you know, this is all thing, right? Express exactly what, what Solomon's trying to communicate, though. An absurd amount of wealth and a certain unheard amount of time is not going to make you happy. Try to do it. Two things. Two basic, but blessings in the extreme. And he says, his soul is not satisfied with all of life's good things. That's verse 3. Not that life can't have good things, but you just don't have the ability to, to enjoy them. Why? Because the guy he's talking about doesn't have a genuine relationship with God. He's keeping all that at, at bay the whole time, right? Recognition of our possessions is never going to bring us lasting joy. We can get the gift, but without the gift giver, it just doesn't work. This is why having more money and more stuff is never going to get. That's why they keep chasing more. Chasing another. Without God, we're discontent. That's just how it is. God's supposed to be the center of everything. So in order to experience real joy in the gifts that God gives us, we've got to have Him. I would say that the fear of the Lord is not just the beginning of knowledge. It's also the source of satisfaction. And notice what he says. He's not talking about the body. He says, notice this, the man's soul is not satisfied. The body can get a lot of pleasure. The body can have a lot of stuff, right? But his soul's not satisfied. His very being isn't satisfied. Him on the inside isn't happy. He's going to get up and go to the cabinet again and try something else. Because it's not the, the length of life that really matters. It's the quality of life that should matter. And in verse 3, here's what he's also kind of getting at here, which is super sad. He's describing this wealthy guy who's put off a lot of enjoyment of life, who's saved up for his children. And they're so ungrateful that they don't even give him a proper burial. Look at verse 3. They don't, even, they don't even dispose of him the right way. And this for the Jewish community is huge. So Solomon's kind of writing it in a way saying, in life and even in death, this guy's just frustrated. He's had enough. He's unhappy and ain't working. A person can have all they dream of, and he lists the examples in the Old Testament, and still be unfulfilled. Right? And he says in verse 1, he says, this is a serious injustice done to man. You ever watch somebody who's in a miserable state, even if they put themselves there, and you're like, man, that, that's a serious injustice. You ever have that thought? If not, I'll let my wife come over and read a lot of law school stuff to you. <laughs> I'm serious, like, I, I didn't have her, I still don't have her compassionate attitude as much as she does, but, now that she reads some of these stories, I'm like, man, that's bad, wow, how, what do you mean, like, like, now I'm on the edge of my seat, like, oh, I know what they did, and now it's like, I just picked the bad thing every time, I'm like, no, they screwed that up, <laughs> right, serious injustice, verse 1, verse 2, and then it says, in my terms, he said, it just ain't right, he's saying, like, this, this just ain't right, man, it's far from holding that the man has rights which God ignores. Hear me right here, I'm going to repeat this. It's rather the man has needs which God's exposing. It's not that you've got rights that God's ignoring, because that's what you think it is. It's that you've got needs that God's exposing, so you make sure you get them. Oh, I'm missing that? Let me check that out. Oh, God, thank you for having a little bit of grace and a little bit of mercy to show me what I'm missing out on so that I keep searching until I get the right thing. This temporary world, like, it can't meet my eternity in my heart that chapter 3 talked about. Right? So, so I got little satisfaction because I don't have you in my life. No depth, no, no lasting thing. It lies heavy upon men, it says in verse 1. <coughs> and maybe, maybe in, in real life world language, it's just saying, like, I want to make sure you understand that this world is no place to rest. <clears throat> 
You can say this way, like this world is not my home. <coughs> my home is built by the Lord, right? So Ecclesiastes is kind of this pre-evangelistic -pre book that's pointing out all the, the fallings and the shortcomings of the secular <laughs> worldview and the materialism of the world. And he's saying, if you leave God out of this stuff, you're leaving joy out. You know, this one, like, you'll live, sure. You'll have stuff, sure. But you can also have the feeling of disappointment and discontentment when <coughs> you get to Jesus. And I think the guy in chapter 6 is, is kind of similar to a lot of us, like seeking a lot of stuff, but just not finding lasting happiness. Lasting <laughs> happiness is, is temporary. So then he breaks this next part of the chapter. So verse 1 through 6, you got the rich guy. Then you got 7 through 9, the poor guy. Right? So, so the rich man is using his money to provide. The poor man is, is using his skills. And hear me, believers, because I think this is a big point of what he's trying to switch to, right? Surviving isn't thriving. God wants you to thrive. God wants you to enjoy, to embrace. So in verse 7, he says, this man toils so that he can eat. But eating don't add nothing to his life. This guy's got, got a hunger rubbing up in his belly, but his appetite, it ain't getting satisfied. He's using this physical thing to, to speak, I guess you could say, philosophically to us, right? Like he's saying, you've got this physical desire, this eating, this reading. Sure, you need to eat to stay healthy physically, but if you've got the wrong attitude, then you're always going to have an appetite. You're always going to have this problem of it never being satisfied. Solomon's dealing here with our desires. And I'm telling you now, you are always going to struggle with your desires. Verse 7, this preacher tells us what happens when we feed the wrong appetite. You get hungry again. You ever notice that? If you feed the wrong thing, you eat the wrong thing, you just, you're just you hungry again. You get the same craving day after day. It's repeated. It's, it's now a cycle. Well, it didn't, it didn't fill me at that time. I'm going to try something else. It didn't fill me up. I'm going to try. So you work, you work so that you got food. You got food so that you can eat it. You eat it so that you got energy to go work again to buy food, to eat, to burn up energy. You know, it's a cycle. And you're talking about that in chapter 3, like this, this again and again and again and again thing going on. And listen up. When we are so overcharged with desire, it's hard to get rest. When you're overcharged by desire, it's hard to get rest. Because I think your desire, I know actually, your desire is always stronger than your satisfaction. Desire is stronger than satisfaction. And no matter how wise, how much money, how many skills... We've all got unfulfilled longings. And, and he talks about this guy. He says, it's, it's better to be wise, of course, but even wise people have desires that aren't fully satisfied. It, it's better to have money, sure, but poverty, it's not going to deliver you from desire. Look at what he says in, in verse 8. He says, this guy was wise enough to know the right way to live. That, that's a good virtue. Yet even he can't avoid the disappointments that are coming because of it. The poor guys will be just as disappointed as anybody else. They all have the same, same ending, this side of the sun, death. Neither wisdom nor poverty proved to be an advantage that Solomon's actually looking for. So he's checked out the rich, he's checked out the poor. They've got these distresses and diseases and, and problems. Maybe Solomon, I don't know, he's, he's, he's thinking about what Moses said, he's thinking about what Jesus is going to confirm later. You know, in Matthew and, and from Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, Man shall not live on bread alone, but the very word that comes from the mouth of God. You keep trying to live on, on, on physical things that ain't going to get done. You think the joy and satisfaction is going to come from things of this world, like food and drink and music and entertainment? Your desires are never going to be satisfied. 
Look at verse 9. Verse 9 says your, your desire that isn't satisfied, it will stay home. It goes wondering. How many times we got in trouble because our desire didn't stay home and it went wondering? It went checking things out. Verse 9, better in the sight of the eyes than the wondering of an appetite. This also is the vanity and striving after the wind. Our <laughs> desires are always moving about. They're never satisfied. That, that's really what I think David writes about Moses right about when they talk about the evilness of the human heart. That's why you can't follow your heart. Because your heart is wild. It's crazy. It'll lead you all kind of places you shouldn't go. Right? He <laughs> Solomon's saying here, it's better to have little and really enjoy it than to dream about a whole bunch and never even attain it. Because you're just going to keep living unsatisfied, unsatisfied, unsatisfied. You're going to keep reaching for stuff that's just out of your grasp that you can't get a hold of on life this side of the sun, life without God. You reach for food, you reach for drink, you, you reach for all this stuff to mask your pain, to, you reach for sexual pleasure to, to erase your boredom, you spend hours playing computer games just to tickle your senses. But it's an appetite that's never satisfied. How many things have we tried in life? Maybe that's what we should have did as we started this whole series. We should have wrote down our own things that we've been trying that ain't been working. Well, this ain't working, this ain't working, this ain't working. You crave what you'll never attain. Solomon says the truth is this, that God is the one that brings joy and satisfaction. The Westminster Conference of Faith begins with this question every time. Some of you probably know, some of you heard, at least you know the answer after this question. What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is, what is man's primary purpose? And his answer, their answer, our answer, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. What am I here for? <coughs> glorify God and enjoy him forever. John Piper writes and expands on it just a little bit better. He, he notes it, I think, a little bit better way. He says the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. He's our greatest enjoyment. He's our greatest satisfaction. He's our greatest treasure. And hear me, but through him, for his sake, we can also enjoy the blessings that life brings. And I think that's what Solomon's realizing. Like, all this stuff without God is just useless. A great partner without God is useless. Children you know, raised the wrong way, they daily to who knows what. Right? A, a good job without trying to do it for, for the Lord is, is useless. Uh, uh, all this stuff. Alcohol, drugs, television, computer games, pornography, all this stuff when I'm empty and I'm bored, <coughs> they work it. Because I hadn't tried running to Jesus. Piper writes again, he says, the human heart produces desires, as fire produces heat. As surely as the sparks fly upward, the heart pulls out desire after desire for a happier future. The condition of the heart is appraised by the kinds of desires that it holds us away. Or to put it another way, I write it this way. The state of the heart is shown by the things that satisfy its desires. So here's the test. You want to know how your heart is. Here's what he says. What satisfies your desires. What satisfies your appetites, your hunger. He says, if it is satisfied with mean and ugly things of this world, it is a mean and ugly heart. But if it is satisfied with the Lord, it is a godly heart. What satisfies you? You want, you want to evaluate yourself and see what satisfies you. Do you truly desire God? Then you'll be satisfied. If not, you leave God out of it. Nothing will satisfy you. 
You'll be chasing after the wind. Verse 9 is the last time he's going to use that phrase, chasing after the wind. He's repeated it from beginning to end. Vanity of human achievement. And it makes me think of this. When we talk about trying to replace God with something else, it's idolatry, really. It's idolatry. Idolatry is only treacherous. Not only treacherous, I'm sorry, but it's also very ineffective. If we try to fill our hearts with anything besides God in the universe, we'll be overfed but undernourished. We'll get a lot of it, but there'll be no nourishment from it. Solomon has this, this son, Rehoboam, and, and he, he covets his dad's stuff. And if you've been with us through Kings and, and the history there, you know how a, what a brat this guy turns out to be. Right? But, but he wants his dad's wealth, he wants his dad's fame, he wants his dad's power. And his covetousness leads him to sin. And, and I wrote it down this way. Like, covetousness, in many ways, is the gateway to all sin. Whatever you covet in free reign is the kind of temptation that's going to snatch you up into sin. James chapter 1, look at, look at 13 through 15. He says, no one who <coughs> going to trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil. And he himself doesn't tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when he's drawn away and enticed by their own evil desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to sin. <laughs> Some of us are foolish enough to think like, wait, God, why would you, God, why would you give me this temptation? Why are you making me hungry or thirsty for, for this? <laughs> And God's shaking his head and saying, I would never make you hungry and thirsty for something you shouldn't be hungry and thirsty for. It's your heart that's the problem. It's that your blue cup is full of blue juice. And blue juice pours out because that's what's inside. Or if it's pink, then pink. True satisfaction comes when we enjoy God. He's implying contentment. Read Timothy when he, when he writes to Timothy in his early writings. About his appetite and possessions and, and obtaining them. Jesus himself said, what? John chapter 4, verse 34 says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. <laughs> I'm not talking about you got to go into full-time ministry or anything like that. I'm talking about like what do you do on your daily job, your daily task, your daily work, your daily roles that represent God and God's way. You realize you, you, can, you can preach just as loud no matter where you're at. You can preach at your house. How are you doing it being a spouse? How are you doing it and being a parent? How are you doing it being a kid? How are you doing it being a student? How are you doing it being a teacher? How are you doing it handling people who you don't want to, actually, probably do want to handle? <laughs> <laughs> Crystal tells you guys all the time in her testimony, like the way she knew she was getting saved or getting back to the Lord, however you guys like to word that thing. Like she started loving people that she didn't even know. She looked at people in traffic and just started loving them. Aww. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but here's what I learned. I, I'm close. Right? I don't know when I would stop putting hands on people when I was changing. <laughs> right? You know what I'm saying? Like that wall came up. I was like, all right, leave your sword. Leave <laughs> your sheep. Right? You don't have to stab on this time. Man. What's changing in your life? What desires? What attitudes? What. What's changing? How are you representing him in your daily life and what you do? 
If we don't live for God, guys, we're living in vain. And we're going to keep chasing stuff that's never going to get it. Can you imagine laboring and not enjoying? That's what we do. We labor, but we don't enjoy. We seek, but we don't find. Because we seek with the wrong motives. You know what I'm saying? Because like, I know what you're thinking when I say this. Like, hold on. He says if you seek, you find. Yeah, if you seek him. Not if you're just seeking some happiness, some feelings. Solomon gets to this last part, verses 10 through 12. A, a whole different group. You know, I told you before with Solomon's journal, he's all over the place, man. So just in this one chapter, he's like rich people, poor people. And then, then he gets to, I think he's going to relate to a couple of you guys in here. You don't have to go deep, you get it. Verses 10 through 12, this third group of people, and it's, it's these people. They're not rich, they're not poor. It's just people who want answers to all life's questions, but they're not satisfied with the answers. Anybody been there? Why, God? God, are you sure this way is supposed to be? God, do you know what you're doing? God, have you, have you really thought about the outcome here? If you do, if you allow this to take place, right? 10 through 12, Solomon's returning to his theme like, why God allows things to happen as they do? And I'll, I'll go ahead and spill it for you. You ready for the secret answer? Yeah, don't tell everybody. I got no idea. Keep that in here. Right? I got no idea. Who knows? Solomon, the wisest guy I've ever lived, doesn't have an idea. Now, he gets kind of smart about it. Look at what he says. As, the, as he gets to this midpoint of Ecclesiastes and he's still checking out the, the same stuff, you're like, Solomon, how long is it taking you to sit and write this journal and get to this point and realize you're writing the same idea, the same thing over and over and over again? And I tell you, I can't answer this one. This is how long it took him. It took him halfway. Because when it gets to chapter 6, verse 10, look at what he says. Whatever exists was given a name long before, long ago, long before. Right? Uh, this, would, this would have a great meaning for, for those likes of Hebrew people because whatever you named, you kind of had ownership and possession over. You think of God in the garden. You think of, of Adam in the garden when he names the animals and, and Eve and all that kind of stuff, right? So, so God's got this possession because he's already named it. You thought you named it. God already had this name a long ago for it, right? And it is known what mankind is. But he's not able to contend with the one who is stronger than he. Solomon writes all this stuff, trying to check it all out, trying to understand it all. In his highlight moment in chapter 6, verse 10, <clears throat> is that who am I to argue with someone so strong? Who am I to question somebody with so much power? Now, there's been plenty to try to argue with God. Some of this room still argue with God. I argue with God sometimes. I'm not saying that's the problem. I am saying, like Job and like others who have argued with him, you will come to regret it. I don't know if you guys remember Job. He does well for a long time, then he finally lashes out. When he lashes out, though, he lashes out with one. That's the problem. You ask God one question, he gives you two or three chapters of answers. He lashes out with one thing. He's like, God, do you even know what's going on? God, why are you letting this happen to me? And God, for three, almost two and a half chapters, just grills him. Where's your path? Where's your plan? Where's the oceans you control? Where's the dirt you made? Where, where's the sun that you put in this place? Where's the stars that you hung in the sky? Come on, Joe, tell me. Where's all the stuff that you've done that you think you can come to the table and go one-to-one -one with 
of this confession, same one you'll get to if you try to argue with God. <coughs> Job 42, verses 3 and verse 6. I have uttered what I did not understand. I should have never. I should, you ever been there? I was there this week. Let me give you a real life example. You don't argue with smart people. So I'm in this group text. Guys at the shop already know this. I'm in this group text, and I'm so excited that I call it flaw in my wife's text. <laughs> She's always correcting me. She's a grammar Nazi, right? Like always correcting, always trying to get me straight, all that stuff. I found it. I checked it like six times. Read it, reread it, reread it. I'm like, yes, there's a fault. And we're in a text with Beth, who's a teacher slash principal. So I'm going like the smart one. Right? I'm all proud. I'm ready, baby. I've been wanting to do this for 20 years now. <laughs> You've been with 20, somebody for 20 years and you ain't never gotten to correct them? Oh, it's coming now. <laughs> so I make my response to the normal thing and I put a little, little thing at the end. I'm like, hey, should have my phone on me, but it's recording, right? Say, hey, so make sure you know you used the wrong two. Should have been T-O-O. Ha! Gotcha! I'm all proud, I'm all happy. I go back to doing a tire. I come back to like six texts. In my joy and my excitement, I didn't realize I fat fingered it. I've got words spelled wrong, I've got this wrong, I've got that wrong. I wanted to throw that stupid phone against the wall! This is why you don't correct somebody who's smarter than you, because then. They blast you in front of Beth, who's the principal in the church. If I look out for your pastor, I'm trying to minister to this lady. Like, don't, don't blast me in front of her. But no! No, now I feel like an idiot. I feel like Job. I have uttered what I did not understand, and that is clearly English. Except for Job's talking to Almighty God. He's like, you're right, I have no idea what I'm talking about. Verse 6, therefore I, I despise myself. I repent of dust and ashes. I didn't text back anymore because I despise myself. <laughs> that's a worldly relationship. But I'm being serious. Could you imagine having this viewpoint with God? Could you imagine all these questions, all this stuff, all this real life you've been living on, how good you've been doing for so long, and then you've got to say, like, I heard what I didn't understand, and, and now, God, I, I despise my kid. I'm going to tell you right now, if you ain't got him yet, if you ain't in a relationship with him yet, man, it's going to shock you when you get there, because you're going to be like, God, I'm so sorry for being dumb for so long. <laughs> I tell him that all the time. <laughs> right, so don't, don't expect to, I still want to fight people with God for us, too. But, I'm my dad for that one, right? It's fool. Here's what he's saying. He's saying it's foolish to argue with God over, over what he's ordained. And plus, more, more of your arguing and most of your arguing is actually going to result in just more unhappiness. I was so happy to correct her. I was so excited. That's the wrong motive, by the way. You should not be excited <laughs> or happy to correct your spouse. Not good marriage <laughs> advice. I'm giving both today. Good ones and bad ones, right? But I was happy. I was getting her. You know what it led to? More vanity. More smoke. More utility. More anger because it didn't satisfy. And that's what he's writing in verse 11. Then he gets to verse 12. <coughs> Such honesty. Man doesn't even know what's best for him because he doesn't even know what the future holds. How real is that? 
Who are you to think you know what's best for you right now when you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? Right. <laughs> and who are you to think you know what's best for you t t this month when you don't know what's happening a year from now? You ever think about that? Like when we get grumpy and mad, I do. I know you holy people don't. Y'all supposed to have somebody added to y'all say, oh, they didn't come to church. Oh, what a sinner, Shane. That's what so holy last night. Because I care about you, brother. That's why I'm calling you out. You're supposed to have somebody to your section, right? But I don't even know where I'm going, Shane. You distracted me by not being Oh, oh. How holy do you think you've got to be to think that you can tell God what's better for tomorrow when you don't know what tomorrow's got? You, you ever been there? You're like, God, I, I don't think you know what you're doing, man. I've been there, man. The funny thing is, I'll get there in the valley, which I'm going to come to this valley in a minute. I'll get myself in the valley and then want to argue with God about, God, you don't know what you're doing in the valley. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. I ain't never heard this audible voice, and I'm glad. But I'm waiting on him one day to say, you realize you put yourself there. I'm just waiting on that quote. Right? And I'm still going to pull you out of it. God, you, you, don't, you don't even know what you're allowing to happen. And God's saying, I know exactly. I know what this is going to lead to because I know what's going to happen a year from now. I know what's going to happen two years from now. I know what's going to happen 20 years from now. I'm sorry I keep using this example, but like Crystal sometimes, she's so hard on herself, like waiting so long to, to go to law school and, and start, start this job and all this kind of stuff. And, and I'm so serious in my meeting, like God knew exactly what year you were going to law school. He knew you wouldn't get no 30 or 40 year career in the law field because we wouldn't survive. That. I mean, because, because he needed you to be a lawyer at this point in life at this stage. For what, I don't know what reason yet. I may never get to know what reason. She may never get to know what reason. But God allows things to happen in the order they happen because he knows the future. Verse 12, well, what good is it to think you can argue with somebody you don't even know that you don't even know the future <laughs> His point on is it's almost like Paul writes this. I have this verse now, I'm sorry. Which I also wrote down for myself before we talk, if you're a word seeing legit. Yep, that's for me. But then Paul says this though, Romans chapter 9, verse 20 says, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Right? And rather than ending this book on this argument, he closes with these rhetorical questions. Questions that he just wants you to think about. I don't think it's any different for us today. I don't have to close with anything special. Just, just these, these same questions for you to think about. Like, what good is it? Who knows what good for man while he lives a few days of his vain life which passes like a shadow? For, for who can tell man what was going to be after him under, under the sun? Who knows? What is good for man? We often think we know best, but what do we know? Wealth, poverty, health, sickness? Really? Do we know what's better? Do we really? Solomon continues through the rest of this book trying to identify what this, this good life looks like. And then, then the other morning, God led me to Psalm 23. And you don't even have to be a believer to have heard Psalm 23, right? And it's, it's all over the place. And there's this, this one section of Psalm 23 we always, we don't have to make it to, like we're quick on the beginning, but we kind of stop short. This is what David, David gets into his life, this is where I'm going with this. David gets into his life just like Solomon. And he starts writing some journals. He starts writing some stuff. Part of it's Psalms. 
And he says this in Psalm 23. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I look up this word follow in the Hebrew. And a better translation, I think, is pursue. Surely goodness and mercy shall pursue me all the days of my life. Pursue in our present day language, I like better, is chase after. Surely goodness and mercy shall chase after me all the days of my life. <coughs> Solomon's right and he's realizing how unhappy he is because he hasn't included God in his life. I realize through, through reading this thing over and over, the more, the more aware we become of God not being in our life, the more aware we become of goodness and mercy and chasing after you every day. But if you get God, if you include God in your life, then you're aware of his goodness and mercy that follow after every single day. And there hasn't been a day that God hasn't chased after me with his goodness and mercy, even when it doesn't feel like goodness and mercy. But if I leave God out, I won't see it, I won't believe it either. Because what happens for David to write this, he had to write the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. This is a guy who knew about being a shepherd, man. I was reading about shepherds this week, not to get off, and I thought of Carla, because it says a lot of shepherds named their sheep. That woman named their chickens. That's really weird to me. The Lord is my shepherd. I have, I got what I need. I don't got what I want. I got what I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He, he lets me lie down in the green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. If you ride your staff, they comfort me. <laughs> man, I don't know if you caught it, man. It's so good. It's so good. You need, if you've never caught it, you need to write it down. Write it in your Bible so you never miss it again. He's got a lot of eyes and a lot of he's in verses 1 through 3. When he gets into the valley, when he gets like Solomon in a miserable state, he then switches, I don't know if you caught it, to the use. He was talking about God for a long time. Then he got in the valley, and now he's talking to God. Why? Because God's with you in the valley. Notice how it changes, man. Right? I go through this dark valley. I'm not going to fear nothing because you, oh, it's no longer he. Now it's you. You are with me. Your rod, your staff, they come for me. You prepare a table in front of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. And surely, goodness, this translation says, a faithful love, mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in this house because it is built on the Lord. Amen, amen. Right? Yeah. Here's the reality. I don't need to step on your toe and, and crush a good ending. Everybody wants Psalm 23. Everybody. I ain't met a brother yet. I ain't met a sister yet that don't want Psalm 23. But you know, to get to Psalm 23, you got to go through Psalm 22. Psalm 22 starts with, God, why have you abandoned me? Why you left me? Why am I all alone? Why am I in this misery? He, he almost sounds like Solomon. Doesn't he? Now, here's the funny thing. Psalm 22 is long. He spends a long time lying and complaining. Missing. Psalm 23 is short. Right? Because the answer is short. The answer is God. See, to get to Psalm 23, you've you got to first be what it says in verse 4. It says, 
He's not my shepherd. If you're not his sheep, you don't get these promises. I talked to a guy who was, who was on this hiking trip, and, and he, he talked about all the warnings he had on the hiking trip. You know, the bears and the dangers and, and food and all this stuff. He says, don't, don't stay up at the top too long because your supplies is going to run out. And I thought about it. I said, life, life on the peak can't sustain life. Nothing stays on the peak. Even the eagle that makes his home on the peak flies away to go get food. Right? Flies away to get stuff for the babies and bring it back. Life can't be sustained on the peak. You've got to go down into the valley. You've got to go through some of what Solomon's been talking about. You've got to go through some of the understanding that life ain't going to bless you with everything. Aside from God, this side of the sun. And you get down into the valley and you realize, oh man, the grass grows green here. You realize that when you get into the valley, like God, God's the one with you here. See, as I'm studying Ecclesiastes, here, here's this big thing I got. I didn't get it until this week. This big thing is it ain't about the ups, it ain't about the downs, it ain't about the mountains, and it ain't about the valleys. When I read both David's writing and Solomon's writing, it's about the consistency of God. He's so consistent. He's with me in the mountain peak. He's with me in the valley. He's with me when I understand. He's with me when I don't understand. He's with me when I put myself in a hole. And he, he's with me when he's taking me out of the hole. The consistency of God. God is a consistent God. We should strive to be more consistent followers. Let's pray. Oh, God, we love you. Thank you for this morning, God. God, we thank you for this writing. God, as much as it bears me to say it seems weird, Lord, we thank you for the we thank you for the blatant honesty of Solomon in some of the words used today. We thank you, Lord God, for, for you using it to draw our attention to you. God, I just pray that be what happens this morning, Lord. Lord, you take these questions, you take these truths, you take these two bookends, Lord God, that you've, you've carried this chapter in, and help us to work on making our appetite and our hunger for the right thing. God, help us to realize you're consistent. Sometimes bad stuff goes on so that we can see you work out your goodness. God, thank you that why our enemies are chasing us. While we're so worried about being pursued by the bad, we're so worried about what's out to get us, that right behind them is goodness and mercy chasing me, pursuing me all the days of my life.